Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. We're seven months into the Hong Kong protests. For more than half a year, millions of people have taken to the streets of one of the world's great cities, clashing with police in their resistance against the tightening control of Beijing over Hong Kong. The unrest is both old news and daily news. As seen through Canada's legacy press, it's a simple story, largely about how what's happening in Hong Kong could affect, quote-unquote, regular Canadians. The reports tend to rely on two tropes, one of brash protesters turned violent, whose actions might make the world and its financial markets more chaotic and unpredictable for us regular Canadians, and another trope about democracy-loving freedom-fighting youth who make our own apathetic kids look bad. Hong Kong students put Canadian hipsters to shame, reads the National Post headline of one opinion piece by Terry Glavin. But there are plenty of regular Canadians whose relationship to these protests is far more direct. 300,000 Canadians live in Hong Kong. Half a million people of Hong Kong descent live in Canada. 
And in total, there are over one and a half million Chinese Canadians. For many of them, and for their families, the stakes here are incredibly high. The extradition bill that the protesters tried to stop would allow any resident in Hong Kong or any traveler passing through to be extradited to mainland China. Here's the quick context. The youth of Hong Kong and in the Hong Kong diaspora are looking at the sunsetting of Hong Kong's independence from the People's Republic of China. By 2047, Hong Kong's transition from British colony will be complete. And hanging in the balance of those years is the question of whether the city will retain any level of the independence it has known, and whether those currently fighting for that independence will pay a price for their resistance. So, yes, what's happening is far more complex than what you see in the mainstream Canadian press. It's therefore unsurprising that most of the discussion and conflict about the protests in Canada is taking place away from the mainstream press. In media ranging from DIY zines to platforms like WeChat, where comments, memes, emojis, and propaganda regarding the protests are flung around daily and on a massive scale. So this is all happening in Canadian media, just not in the Canadian media that we usually talk about. Which is not to say that legacy media reports about the protests don't matter. They do have an impact, and not always a good one. Today's story comes from producer Tiffany Lamb. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Madeleine Campbell, Kevin Miller, Kent Nicholson, Jillian, Daniel Ballantine, Steve Shaw, Josh Rochefort, and Sal Good Sam. Hi there, Canadaland fans and future patrons. This is Max, a.k.a. Sal Good Sam. I'm a cartoonist and Canadaland patron now for over five years. I've known Jesse longer. Full disclosure, he was an aspiring cartoonist himself when I first met him. He was pretty good, but probably made the smarter decision going into journalism. I've enjoyed and valued this, this show and many other series Canadaland has birthed, and we need more media news of this caliber. Pledge, people, pledge. I have a nice t-shirt. You want one, too. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. 
It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. My parents were born and raised in Hong Kong, moved to Canada, and had me. They ended up moving around quite a bit, so even though I live in Toronto now, I grew up in Hong Kong and Beijing. I think that helps me understand how confusing things are in Hong Kong right now. Chinese communities here and abroad are divided about the protests. Mainstream media focuses on how Hong Kongers are pro-democracy or pro-Beijing, but it gets more complicated. Protesters who want to be a British colony again march alongside anti-imperialist anarchists dressed all in black. Some want democracy, but hate that Hong Kong is in recession. Some supported the movement until there was violence. Everything that happens there matters to me. And Felix feels the same way. My name is Felix Chu. Felix works in public policy research and often organizes community events in Toronto. He facilitated a panel discussion I was invited to speak at. It was about the role of art and independent publishing in the Hong Kong protests. I was born in Hong Kong, raised here in Toronto, and I grew up in Scarborough. Scarborough is a majority-minority suburb. It's a popular landing pad for immigrants from all over, including Hong Kong. My parents only speak Cantonese, so uh, whenever I talk to my parents about, of course, politics, which is what I love, politics and public policy, it always revolves around discussions back home. Felix sometimes hosts workshops to teach people to make zines. To him, zines are empowering. It is accessible. It's DIY. It's low cost. You can spread the message everywhere. And it's creative. One day, Felix ran a workshop with a few others at OCAD University. They taught people how to make zines about Hong Kong as a way to reflect on the protests and how they relate to it. It is one form of activism. There are many forms of activism right now connected to the Hong Kong protests, whether it be demonstrating on the streets, to politicians going around the international circuit, to folks you know, writing songs about the movement. And for us, it was just creating space so that people can make zines. It just so happened that it happened on October 1st. October 1st is China's National Day. It is also the day that Felix and his co-organizers happened to be free to put on a zine workshop. Given the timing, they were ready for the possibility of a disruption from folks from mainland China, even though they weren't really sure if it would happen. But then... An individual did come in. He had the flag of China posted on his T-shirt. He sat right in the front. And people are always shy, right? They never sit in the front, even if they support the event or they're really excited about it. But he was the lone person to sit right in the front. So I kind of took a look at him and said, okay, that's fine. You know, I always give the benefit of the doubt to folks. You know, maybe he's there to start a dialogue. We did opening remarks about how this protest movement is not about being anti-China. And this event certainly won't tolerate any xenophobic or anti-Chinese type of uh, sentiment. After that, I wanted to kind of open the floor up to folks about, you know, if they had any closing thoughts. Uh, when I saw that he was going to, uh, you know, reach for the microphone, and I wasn't sure his intent. Felix was worried about the workshop being derailed, so he suggested going straight to the zine making. 
people started breaking off into their groups. That's when this individual did approach me and, you know, didn't introduce himself, just said, why do you condone violence? You know, why do you support rioters? Why do you support violence being brought onto the police and to the community? And I knew right away that this guy, he may not actually be coming here in good faith because those are questions that are quite loaded. They're leading questions. Did anyone engage with him? Everyone was like, dude, just chill out. We're here to make scenes, eat pineapple buns. A classic Hong Kong snack make buttons, and just enjoy ourselves because it was a very sad day that day. You know, October 1st, it was all the parades in Beijing, but also I think it was uh, one of the first times that a protester was shot by a police officer and almost near the heart. So the, the mood was solemn anyways, um, but to have this person kind of really kind of regurgitate a lot of the lines from what we call blue media was a little jarring for us. If you're blue in Hong Kong, that means you're pro-Beijing, pro-police. What I did was the moment he kind of accosted me, I pulled him aside away from the activities so that I would just soak it in because everyone else is there to enjoy themselves. And there was a moment I was just stalling and stalling. I was taking his questions. When he said to me, I know what you're doing. You don't want me to talk to other people. You don't want me to disrupt. So I'm going to go over now and try to debate them. And I said, you do what you want. But I said, you know, I do want you to let you know that people are here to enjoy themselves. They're, of course, here to discuss, but it should be done so in a non-confrontational manner. And he said, don't worry about it. And then he did disrupt the zine workshop. You know, he went in, slammed his notebook, and everyone took notice. And he was like, let's debate. You know, so that was, it was entertaining. You know, it's really interesting because, you know, my parents are plugged in with their WeChat and their WhatsApp, and they get a lot of messages from their mainland relatives and their Hong Kong relatives. And a lot of them are on the blue side. The news that circulates on WeChat and WhatsApp is similar to news content you'd get on any social media platform. It's not always verified. It's sometimes hard to say where it comes from. On WeChat, you can text people, you can share photos or links or videos, any kind of media, really. WhatsApp is primarily a texting platform, but there are group chats that serve as interest groups to disseminate information. As of 2019, WeChat has a billion users. And they get a lot of these news, and they're quite well-produced, I would say. And they spin a certain narrative and a certain story about these protests being influenced by imperial powers, such as the United States and the United Kingdom. Felix's relatives might have sent him something like this. I have no doubt that there are foreign hands in this trouble. You could certainly say he's right, and this is an element of the Hong Kong protests that are not being so cut, that's not being so covered in the Western corporate press. I want to show you the organizers of these anti-extradition law. They call themselves the Civil, Civil Human Rights Front. They're all taking money, and they've all worked with an organization called the National Endowment for Democracy. They've all received funding from this organization. Would you tell us, so our viewers can understand, who the hell is the National Endowment for Democracy? Who are these people? That's right. So who is this NGO funding these protesters, right? Carl Gurr Here's what he had to say. He was actually the president of the National Endowment for Democracy at the time he said this. He right. said, it would be terrible for democratic groups around the world to be seen as subsidized by the CIA. We saw that in the 60s, and that's why it's been discontinued. That's why the endowment was created. My dad actually sent that to me. It's in English, chopped up with Chinese subtitles. The video is embedded in this frame with a little angry emoji. 
and a headline in traditional Chinese characters that says, receiving money to work for the CIA's interests. The video features an interview with an anchor and two reporters sitting at what looks like a professional TV set. At the bottom, you get a clue of where this was filmed. Fine print flashes occasionally reading, for more on these stories, visit www.rt.com. RT, which stands for Russia Today, is a television network backed by the Russian government. But I don't know who clipped it, subtitled it in Chinese, and uploaded it to WeChat, and my dad will never tell me where he gets his stuff. It circulates on WeChat as news and gets forwarded to people like me, living in Canada. Of course, they'll take out out-of-context media clips to uh, make a point that the protesters are in fact rioters, and therefore the violence being brought on to the police is unjustified. That's the point my mom thinks is shown by this clip she sent me on WeChat from the UK's Channel 4. You know that something is upside down in society when students at the top university use their empty Olympic swimming pool to practice throwing Molotov cocktails. Welcome to the Polytechnic of Hong Kong. World leader in design, now world leader in insurrection. All the brains and discipline that usually go into higher education here are being deployed to turn this citadel of learning into a fortress of protest with bespoke barricades built to last. Channel 4 is a mainstream news channel, but on WeChat, without any context, this clip is serving the pro-Beijing message. Whatever the original journalist's intention, its meaning changes as it spreads throughout the social media platform. I can't say if the guy that interrupted Felix's workshop is consuming media like this, but it made me wonder whether the Canadian media landscape might have helped him get all up in arms as well. And the more I pay attention, the more I realize it's not just blue media that spins a certain narrative. A lot of focus, even in the mainstream, is placed on the violent nature of the protests. Hong Kong's universities have become the latest battleground. Nine campuses shut after protesters built barricades, booby-trapped roads, tested weapons, using Molotov cocktails, even bows and arrows. Violent confrontations between police and anti-government protesters marred holiday festivities in Hong Kong in some of the most sustained unrest there. Violent clashes and pro-democracy protests have rocked one of the world's major financial hubs. And the ripple effects are being felt in Canada. It has a huge kind of influence in in getting people away from the political reasons. That's Vincent Wong. I'm an adjunct professor and a research associate at the International Human Rights Program at the University of Toronto Faculty of Law. I teach a course on uh, global media freedom at the law school. And uh, I'm also originally from Hong Kong, although I grew up here in Scarborough. I'm a lawyer by training. Vincent is also part of the Love Sound Collective. Since June, in which the Hong Kong protest really started getting getting going, there has been a collective of folks called the Laosan Collective who are attempting to understand, conceptualize, theorize the Hong Kong protest from an explicitly international left perspective, trying to make the inroads between the Hong Kong protest movement and uh, leftist politics. It's a group of artists, activists, writers. Laosan was also in part a response to the coverage in mainstream media. A lot of people have gone away from this 
kind of peaceful, the world's most peaceful protest to, well, now it's devolving into chaos and really adopting a lot of the Chinese state media messaging when it comes to the flattening of violence on both sides discourse. And this is not just Hong Kong. I would say, you know, there's probably at least a dozen kind of mass protests going on in the world right now. And to the extent that, you know, pretty much all of them have some elements of disruption, surely, of disruptive tactics, of vandalism, and of some violence. In all those cases, without exception, they are facing brutal sort of state-sanctioned violence. And then so what do you do in that kind of circumstance, right? When you're facing a constant state of injustice, how do we understand violence as a political act in, in that kind of respect? In his mind, violence from protesters and violence from the state are not the same. And the style that it is reported in glosses over a key thing. These are political acts in a context where people have no other way of expressing their political opinion, where their political opinions clearly don't matter to the government in any kind of peaceful protest. Vincent also said the words that mass broadcast media uses to describe the protests can shape who supports it. For example, a lot of the time for conciseness, the protests are often framed as pro-democracy movements. This label theoretically appeals to a broader audience. If the protests just talk about elections and sort of a liberal democratic conception of what democracy and freedom mean in sort of a shallow formalistic sense, then yeah, I mean, pretty much broad subsections of the US, the UK, Canada, Australia, they can easily get behind those. Now, when you start getting into issues of systematic police brutality without legal accountability, then your appeal becomes increasingly incoherent because a lot of these countries, Western liberal democracies, use similar, if not the exact same laws and kind of unaccountable police oversight systems, right? Uh, you can think of in the US, police brutality and specifically killing of people who interact with police is on a far higher level than Hong Kong and even China, mm. right? And even in Canada, Hong Kongers have fought against, you know, what they, they perceive, I think, rightly to be an uh, unjust anti-mask law. This ban was enacted October 4th, 2019, and used the Colonial Era Emergency Regulations Ordinance to ban covering your face at protests. Many people wear masks to protect themselves from tear gas, but also to hide their identities. But that anti-mask law, in the worst case scenario, has a one-year prison sentence maximum. In Canada, the Harper government passed an anti-mask law that goes up to 10 years in jail. So it's way worse. Vincent believes that the overemphasis on violence in media has real impacts. I think the number one reason why folks who have a stake in what's going on in Hong Kong don't support the protests, or from mainland, for instance, don't support the protest is that rhetoric of, of violence. I have definitely had heated dinner table discussions where people say they don't support the protest because of how far the violence has gone. People have said versions of this to Vincent, too. 
you know, a Caucasian gentleman approached me about it. It's like, you know, sorry for what's happening in Hong Kong. You know, it's too bad that the protesters have lost the narrative. And he said a couple of other things that basically imply that, you know, he was the audience that I needed to convince, which is not necessarily untrue when you think about the way the movement is trying to find allies, right? But one of Vincent's colleagues in Lausanne, Jin Peng, has argued maybe people like that aren't who the movement should be reaching out to anyway. Does it really make sense then to try to convince these folks of, you know, kind of the injustices that we face and, you know, our, kind of our movement? Or is it better to actually just get allies that understand in a more real kind of experience, lived experience sort of way, what it is like to be denied your kind of proper political voice, what it is like to be under state suppression, what it is like to be fighting an unaccountable sort of police in a situation of brutality. And that changes kind of the structures immediately, right? In terms of, you know, if we started talking to Black Canadians and their community groups about what is happening in Hong Kong, if we started to talk about in, to Indigenous Canadians or migrant Canadians that face kind of the pressure of both the criminal and the immigration enforcement system, then you don't need to do that much work in terms of them understanding kind of what you're fighting against. But the news doesn't focus on the shared experience or these common power dynamics. Instead, they focus on the fighting part, as in pro-democracy protests have taken a violent turn. An eruption of anger after a protest the Hong Kong government acknowledged was peaceful. What began as a peaceful rally supporting China's ethnic Uyghurs got chaotic. And so Vincent thinks it's important to be more thoughtful in how we present it. We need to think about how we're presenting the term violence. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't talk about violence in protests, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I think everybody in media has a perhaps professional or ethical obligation to be specific and to be precise with the terms and you know that they use. And I know that's kind of difficult with the the limits of, you know, kind of word and conciseness is obviously an important thing, but you know, when you're essentializing violence that is perpetrated by the state which has professional equipment which has all sorts of funding resources have all sorts of political and legal cover uh, which has no kind of legal accountability in many of these spots you know think hong kong and kashmir versus you know like protesters that are essentially trying to resist or fight back then you're not really presenting the facts on the ground accurately to this day, over 6,000 protesters have been arrested in Hong Kong. And we don't know of a single police officer, not even the guy who shot the teenager point-blank in the chest, that has been disciplined in any way. And even if you are presenting the events of what's going on on the ground accurately and explaining how the political nature of the protests animate this violence, it's still limited. What we see often on TV or radio daily news is this logic of creating a spectacle for viewers' consumption. The media spectacle strategy is limited insofar it is not actually doing the heavy lifting that gets no media attention of organizing, of talking to people about their specific kind of issues and bringing them into the conversation. 
talking with Vincent really got me thinking. Journalism purists might argue that coverage should be apolitical, show things as they are. It's not really part of the journalist's job to think about the effects of the version of the truth they portray. I asked Vincent if he thought journalism should do a better job of connecting the dots. It's an important role, not just politically, but, but really trying to understand and reflect kind of all the relevant things that are happening in this you know, clearly important political movement, right? And if you're not covering the kind of conversations that, you know, mainlanders and Hong Kongers are having. Or even the diaspora. Or the, the, the diaspora, that's right. There's a very kind of popular Twitter account called Mainland Voices. And it translates from this guy called at Midway Dude. I think Midway Dude or Midway Guy. <laughs> it's Midway Dude. Basically, he filters out, you know, people that are saying things from across the Chinese firewall and kind of shares it in different threads. And then what Mainland Voices does, their Twitter account, is to translate all of those into English. And then the, so there are remarkable sort of uh, voices, all sorts of different kind of diverse voices and experiences of mainlanders who are at one side are moved by the ideals and kind of the courage of protesters in in facing, you know, kind of brutal police violence to achieve their political aims, but at the same time are, you know, kind of isolated, feel you know, perhaps some people feel discriminated against, some people feel very scared of sharing it with their family, with friends, are scared of being uh, having trouble in school or work if anybody finds out. So these sorts of voices are clearly not being centered, even though they are incredibly important and incredibly salient. But all the Western media, not all the Western media, but the main narrative is that, hey, this is Hong Kong, this is China, they could not be any farther, there's no repairing this relationship. But that that clearly isn't taking into account all of these kind of separate things that are just as, as important. Felix the zine maker agreed. The moment sides harden, that's when you can't actually have dialogue. Where do you hope to see this movement go? I think in an ideal world, democracy and the end to all of this terrible violence where people's lives are on hold. So the final hope and dream is, of course, democracy. And of course, not just democracy. It means a democratic reform that can lead to progressive reform, such as LGBTQ rights, women's rights, social benefits that are commensurate to the extreme levels of inequality that accompany Hong Kong's free enterprise system, especially in the realm of housing and income inequality, and of course, reconciliation, because we can't just forget this. You know, there's a lot has happened. Reconciliation, like dialogue, you mean? Yeah, like an accountability. I guess that would be more what I think is is the desire of a lot of folks. Seeing what happened at Yunlong on July 21st and at Prince Edward Station August 31st, where people were beating up civilians and protesters and the police were indiscriminately attacking protesters and civilians without a single police officer being reprimanded for their actions. I think that, to me, is what reconciliation would, would entail, would be accountability. 
That is your episode of Canada Land. If you liked it, uh, tell the world about that because that helps us. If you want to talk to us about it, then, uh, I don't know, email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read all the emails you send. Our company Twitter account is at CanadaLand. This episode was written and produced by Tiffany Lamb. Tiffany, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at TLMSY, where I lurk and mostly like things. Jordan Cornish did the mix. Our senior producer is Kasia Mihailovich. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com, where you will find our annual roundup of the best and worst tweets of 2019. Syndication of Canada Land is handled by CFUV in Victoria, 101.9 FM. Check them out online at CFUV.ca. If you like the podcasts that we make and uh, the other stuff that we do here, you can support us and get ad-free versions of all of it. And we rely on your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.